lost, you said I am as constant as a northern star And I said Constantly in the darkness Where's that at? If you want me, I'll be in the bar Hello everyone and welcome to a special bonus interview edition of Directors Club I'm your host, Jim Laskowski And well, um... Much like the last episode that you've heard, I'm quite honored again to be talking with an actual director. Uh, what's pretty wild is that today's guest does have something in common with filmmaker Keith Gordon, who joined me last time. In Keith Gordon's excellent film, Waking the Dead, he used one of my favorite Joni Mitchell songs, A Case of You. <laughs> and well, let's just say that there may or may not be a reference to that song in the film I'm happy to talk about today. Uh, joining me is someone I've been hoping to have a conversation with for a while, since clearly he's a true blue Chicagoan uh, ever since relocating from Charlotte, North Carolina. And his films really do capture the warm, loving essence of the Windy City, and he's so good at creating wonderful characters that feel like neighbors or friends. Just good at showcasing these well-observed portrayals of real people. And he's got a new film out that is incredibly sweet and empathic, and it's called Relative. The writer, director, producer, all-around great guy, the talented Mr. Michael Glover-Smith. Oh my goodness, Jim. Thank you for having me on here and thank you for that uh, effusive introduction. <laughs> I also want to say uh, it's an honor to follow Keith Gordon. Uh, I listened to that conversation and I thought it was uh, fantastic. So He... Oh, he is the best. Like I, I think I said at the end of the episode too, you should have your own podcast because anytime you can find a cinephile that is very articulate and passionate and knows his stuff. You just want to keep, you want to keep the conversation going. Uh, yeah. 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 He's, yeah. A, he's a true cinephile and it was really fun to, you know, hear him talk about some of his, uh, favorite films of the sixties. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's still surreal to me that this hap that happens every year where it's just like, he just pops a pie. It's like, Hey, I love talking with you. Let's talk some more. I'm just like, Oh boy. And I, obviously I'm going to have you back on this show. Uh, probably next year. We, we need to pick a director that you love that hasn't oh, been covered yeah. on the show. And just, yeah, I mean, hopefully I know you live in Rogers park, so maybe we can even do it in person. So we'll see. <laughs> Would love that. <laughs> Same here. So uh, yeah, let's let's get let's get going on uh, your latest film, Relative. Where where were you when you decided to sit down and just start fleshing out this story onto the page? What was the initial inspiration for this uh, family dramedy? Um, well, I really wanted to make a movie about about a family. That was really the impetus for it. Mm. You know, I, I I've lived in Chicago since 1993, um, and I I'm from North Carolina, as you said. So I, I moved away from my family, all of whom are still located in the South, and I typically only see them about once a year. Um, and I rarely see them all together. So it's usually one-on-one. -on -one. Um, and so I was really just kind of meditating on, on, you know, what it's like to be reunited with family members and um, all of the sort of complex emotions <laughs> that arise. Um, you know, there's a lot of love and there's also a lot of frustration. And um, I, that, that's what I was trying to capture in this film. And I think you did that very successfully here. To me, it's almost an extension, a little bit of just the initial setup and themes of Mercury and Retrograde, which is why I wanted to finally catch up with it. Uh, you know, because just like a bunch of different characters who are very close, but also struggling individually in some way. And, and at times their personalities clash, but it's mostly out of love and friendship right. that you know, they, that these things happen when you are very close with somebody. And that certainly happens in, in relative with, uh, with, uh, yeah, everybody involved, but particularly those, those two brothers, uh, Benji and Rod, there's a lot of tension in that scene where they <laughs> do openly confront one another and your framing of them in those scenes and choosing to shoot that outdoors was, was really unique. And it really emphasizes their separation. That's a great scene. Oh, thank you very much. Um, yeah, that was a that was sort of a key scene for me, and um, I'm glad that people are you know responding to it. Um, there's another parallel between um, 
Mercury in retrograde and relative that I haven't really talked about before. Um, and I don't even know if I was aware of this when I first started writing relative, mm. but they both um, take place over the course of a weekend. Ah. And in both films, you have basically, you know, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Each day is a way to kind of chapterize the film into a kind of three act structure. Hmm. So, you know, Friday is kind of the introduction uh, of the characters and their relationships. Saturday is the, you know, the rising action and the climax. And then, you know, Sunday is the, the falling action and the resolution. Um, so I, but, but the, you know, the characters are different enough and the story is different enough so that I, I, I think it's okay <laughs> that I repeated myself. <laughs> yeah. I, well, I, we're focusing on relative, but I do have to say, I mean, Mercury retrograde is a really strong ensemble piece. And, uh, I, I found myself laughing quite a bit at, um, you know, the guys playing Frisbee golf, especially, uh, <laughs> yeah. especially Richard wearing a sweatband, uh, brought to mind Chris Maloney from Wet Hot American Summer, <laughs> just yeah. his outfit, um, which is yeah. a movie I adore. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we, we had a we had a lot of fun costuming him because, you know, the whole point, of course, is that he he takes it way too seriously. So he was like really into the gear and really into the he's wearing a you know a special glove. <laughs> You're right, right. <laughs> yeah, it, it's weird, though, because I, I, I didn't check out the cast listing before I watched it. And this is, you know, kind of an aside, but it, it's 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 appropriate. Um Way back when my former co-host and I revealed our favorite film, I believe it was 2013. It was a, the only time we had a shared mutual choice. And when we revealed it, I think it was like the night before we, we knew we were going to record, we received a voicemail from an actor from that film. And his name is Andrew Sensenig. Wow. <laughs> so you must have been talking about uh, Upstream Color. Uh, yes. We were yeah, yeah just well, I, obsessed with that yeah. movie. I cast him in Mercury, you know, based on his performance in that film. Cause I was thinking like the, the, the part of Jack's father, it's a very small role mm -hmm. at the end of the movie, but I thought, you know, it's just a one day uh, gig, but I thought I really want someone who is a great actor and will have a certain presence. And I, I didn't want to cast, you know, just a local actor. I wanted someone who was in a movie that I loved. So Andrew lives in New York and um, it's really kind of funny. Um, I, I sent him a message on Twitter because we were following each other um, on Twitter. And I told him I was, I had, I, I had a part that I had him in mind for. And I asked him, I said, I, 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 there's a part in my film, it's a small role, I think you'd be perfect, but I'm a little afraid that you're maybe too young to play <laughs> the part. Do you mind my asking how old you are? And he gave me the best response. He said, Michael, I'm 55 years old, but I can play uh, anywhere from 40 to 70. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, that's, that's a true actor. You know, that's the best response. And so of course I cast. Oh, that's um, wonderful. Yeah. But you know what, Jim, I want to point something else out about that scene with Andrew. That scene in a way was also one of the seeds for relative because all of my first three films are really about, you know, young people in their twenties and thirties and, you know, um, romantic relationships and friendships. But at the end of Mercury and retrograde, when Jack's father shows up, um, I thought it was really interesting how he sort of gave that speech to all the, all the young people about, yeah. you know, the, the importance of like following your dreams and what I really loved about it was that Jack, his own son, everyone is listening to him with rapt attention, except for his own son, <laughs> who, is, who is scrolling on his phone while right. his dad is talking. And I always thought that was a funny little detail that I think maybe a lot of people didn't even notice. But I kind of thought, hmm, you know, there's a lot more to explore here in terms of um, – you know, parent-child relationships. So that kind of, I think, got the gears turning. Yeah, no, that that makes complete sense. I hadn't thought of that, but that no, that that whole sequence is really sweet and well, literally because you're baking cinnamon rolls. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I mean that's that's a that's really special casting. You definitely have a gift for that, without a doubt. I mean, we can obviously I, we both 
share a love of David Lynch, obviously. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Uh, one of my very favorites. And so I, I have to know more about casting the wonderful Wendy Roby. Um, did you envision her while writing the screenplay? What led her to sort of coming on board for this project? Uh, no, I wasn't thinking about her at all when I wrote it. I mean, I, I the only role in the film that was written, actually, no, there were two. There were two roles that were written specifically for actresses. One was, I wrote the role of Yvonne for Claire Cooney. Sure. Um, she was you know, she also was the casting director for the film and was a co-producer on it as well. Um, and then the role of Hecla I wrote for Elizabeth Stam, uh, even though when I was done, I made her audition for it anyway, because <laughs> I, I had seen her in one film and I, you know, what I was asking her to do was pretty different from what she had done in in her first film. So I said, Liz, I'm 99% sure you can do this, but I just need to see it. Can you send me a tape? And she did. And she was perfect. But um, when I was done writing it, I hadn't really given much thought to who was going to play the other parts. And then I happened to be at a party and there was a young actor there named Casey Morris, who Hmm. you might know he's in those uh, little Caesars commercials. Oh, really? Yes, he's the redheaded guy, in the, you know, who freaks out when, um, in the Little Caesars commercials. Um, I think he lives in L.A. now, but he, he lived in Chicago for years and he is friends with her. And I, I didn't know she lived in Chicago. Um, which is crazy. I didn't know that either. No. Yeah. Oh, Jim, she's very active in the Chicago theaters. I mean, she's been in play a lot of plays at the Goodman. Um, She's done Steppenwolf. Sure. She's been nominated for a Jeff award, but she's also very um, kind of averse to doing publicity. She's a pretty, she's a pretty shy person. So uh, she keeps a very low profile. She doesn't have any social media. And um, she doesn't even really do any of the Twin Peaks, you know, fan events. Um, Not that she doesn't love the Twin Peaks fans. She just doesn't like to put herself out there. Uh, But anyway, at this party, Casey was he was in a play that was coming up and he said to me, he goes, hey, you'll never guess who my plus one is to the show I'm doing. Wendy Roby. And I said, no way. And he goes, yeah. I said, she lives here? He goes, yeah, she lives in uh, Lincoln Square. So uh, that kind of blew my mind. And then I immediately, you know, thought that she would be perfect for the role of Karen, the mother, because she's the right age. And um, I also just felt like she had the right temperament, you know, that she had the right persona. Hmm. Um, and also the right look, because I knew I was going to be casting Claire's mom and Claire and Wendy both have kind of wonderful, um, statuesque faces. They have really good cheekbones. Yeah. And I just thought, yeah, they kind they kind of look alike, you know, and maybe so, different uh, heights, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, there's a funny story about that as well, uh, which I've told many times, but, uh, yeah, I mean, Claire is six feet tall, so I had to cast a, a tall actor to play Claire's dad because I'm like, she cannot, dwar- you know, she cannot dwarf her parents. That'll be ridiculous. Right. Uh, so, so that was a factor in, in casting uh, the role of, of David. But anyway, um, yeah, I just sent the script to uh, Wendy's agents and I heard back from them very quickly. And they basically said, Wendy would like to have coffee with you. So um, I met her at a Starbucks and we sat and talked for about an hour um, about the about the script and the character. And, you know, pretty much halfway through the meeting, um, I really liked her and I thought she had a lot of good ideas about the character and I, I, I knew she could do it. So I kind of just offered her the role right there on the spot. And we sh- she said, are you offering me the role? I said, yes, I am. And she said, then I accept. And we just shook hands right there in Starbucks. And uh, and that was actually in December of 2019. This was pre-pandemic. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, we thought we were going to shoot in May of 2020. And we ended up, you know, pushing it back um, for over a year. But I was in, you know, semi-regular contact with her during that time. And, um, 
And, you know, it, what, uh, we even did some zoom rehearsals, like her and Claire, you know, they have a couple of emotional scenes towards the end and we rehearsed those via zoom and, um, yeah. And just, you know, the, the entire experience of working with her was really a dream come true. Oh, I don't doubt it. And she's wonderful. And I mean, talk about ideal parent parents I, yeah. it's like you, you watch a movie and sometimes you go oh i wish they were my parents <laughs> right <laughs> and this is one of those cases and i i recognized um francis right um yes from erie indiana of all things yes yes because i was i mean I've, right. i'm still am a joe dante freak uh right. <laughs> and i've seen as, all, as am i yeah as you should yeah and so i i grew yeah, up well, watching that show yeah i'm i saw it when it yeah, when it first came out, mm-hmm. um, so so long ago, and I I haven't revisited it, so I don't re- really remember it very well. But um, I, I, you know, uh, have seen him in a multitude of uh, films and television shows and and plays. I mean, I actually saw him on stage at Steppenwolf about a decade ago and was really blown away by him. So um, it was really, you know it was thrilling to work with both of them. And, and Wendy was a big fan of Fran. So Mm. when I told her that I was thinking of casting him as her husband, her eyes lit up and she said to me, and this was during the first meeting, she said, I've never worked with him. She said, I would love to. So, so she was a fan of him. And um, yeah, I mean, just the, the, the chemistry between them, I think is, uh, is, is pretty phenomenal you know the scene in the bedroom where they're mm-hmm. <laughs> talking about their their children and uh where he kind of voices his his disappointment in how his children turned out um i just it, it felt that whole chemistry felt very very honest to me and it sounds like your cat tilda agrees um, <laughs> <laughs> no i mean what's wild is that he had he has a very small part in serpent in the rainbow and of course we all know Wendy uh, Roby from her memorable role in People Under the Stairs. I wonder if they yeah. realize that they have a Wes Craven connection there. I'm sure they probably oh, brought it up. You know, it's <laughs> funny. I, I don't think they – I don't know if they talked about that. I know she loved working with Wes Craven. Mm. Um, she told me he had a great sense of humor, um, which I think is pretty obvious. Yeah, you know, for sure. Film. Um, but yeah, she told – you know, during lunch on set, I would kind of grill her about – working with David Lynch and Wes Craven. And she told me a lot of, a lot of great stories. Oh, but there is an interesting, another interesting connection between Wendy and Fran. They both were on episodes of Star Trek. Whoa. Yeah. Uh, they, they were like, I, I, I'm not a Trekkie, so I know nothing about Neither Star Trek. Neither am I. I know a little bit, but not was, much. It was like, they were two different shows. You know, I mean, one might've been the next generation. And then the other one was like deep space nine or whatever. But, um, they, and and they did talk about that, and they were kind of, um, you know, comparing notes about what that was like. That's wonderful. No, I mean, this, yeah. this is this is just a great cast. I mean, you mentioned Elizabeth Stam, who might give my favorite performance. I mean, it, it's possible just like it's so energetic and almost screwball comedy like in nature. So, yeah. but, but I think anybody watching it is probably having that, and you've probably already heard this already a star is born kind of feeling when you're watching her. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. I mean, the truth is I met her at a film festival in Alabama. This is another bizarre story. I was, I was at this, um, I was at this great festival in Florence, Alabama called the George Lindsay film festival. And I was showing rendezvous in Chicago and she was there with her first film, um, that, that, which is called bleed American. Which oh, is I, I still film. need to see that because that doesn't that yeah. take, that takes place in Northwest Indiana, which is where I grew up. Yes. Oh, no kidding. Oh, then you definitely have to see it. Okay. It's I'm like, it out. Yeah. It's a pretty, um, it's a pretty powerful kind of depiction of, you know, blue collar teenagers living in trailer parks. It, it's, it's pretty hmm. gritty and, uh, kind of almost Larry Clark esque. Oh boy. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's a, it's a tough film, but um, she has a small role. She's in a few scenes and she was really good. And uh, the film is a drama. You know, it's a very serious film. And after, after I saw the film, I knew it was made in Indiana. I didn't know, you know, where the filmmakers were from or anything. And I, after it was over, I, walked, she was there. So I walked up to her and I said, Hey, I really enjoyed your performance. And we started talking 
And then she told me she lived in Chicago, which kind of blew my mind because I kind of assumed she maybe was from Indiana. And so I thought, oh, well, I said, I'm a, you know, I'm from Chicago. We should, we should work together. So we started talking and she uh, was the goofiest, funniest person I've ever spoken to. Like after five minutes of talking to her, I was just cracking up and, um, and I was really surprised because that's not the way she is in that film at all. Um, and I thought, man, if I'm going to cast her in something, I'm going to really try and, um, you know, shine a light on her comedic chops. So that's really how the character of, uh, of Hecla was born. Oh, and it's so good. And she delivers a very memorable monologue late in the film that I found to be quite lovely. And just like how she's interacting with everybody in the room. Like she's fearless yeah. in that regard. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a really, I think that's a tour de force um, monologue, you mm-hmm. know, and it's like she, she auditioned with that. Like she sent me a tape of her doing it and it, I thought it was amazing um, because she, she kind of brings like a fer- ferocity to it. You know, she really tears into it um, and it's funny. And, you know, the thing is you don't even have to know that play the importance of being earnest. Right. You don't have to, you don't even have to know the context of what she's talking about because the way she reads it is just so compelling. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I was really glad to, to, I was just, I was very lucky to have her. Yeah. And you've, you've been very lucky in, in working with Claire Cooney a, a number of times and certainly she made an impression in rendezvous in Chicago and she's an incredible filmmaker in her own right lately. I mean, I've certainly sung the praises of her short films that I've seen. Uh, thanks greatly due in part to my friend, Colin Suter who does the shorts programming for that's right. You know? Yeah. And so I've, yeah, I mean, I've, I've crossed paths with her and I, anytime she shows up in anything, I'm automatically drawn towards her as well. And, you know, she's, yeah, her character, the character of Yvonne here is, you know, struggling with depression is, you know, really heavy stuff. And it's, but it's done, you know, very compassionately. And it's clear that she's kind of a natural. And, and I've always felt that way, you know, going back to Rendezvous in Chicago. It feels like she's a part of your acting crew, your family that you've assembled over time. And I'm guessing she brings a lot to to each uh, production on a collaborative level. You mentioned that she also casted this film too. Yeah, she, she did. Um, I mean, there were, there were some performers that I kind of brought to the table um, based on having seen them in other films where I was like, okay, Claire, I'm going to invite this person to audition. Um, Like Emily Lape was somebody Mm. who plays Norma is someone I brought to the table because I was a big fan of um, a film that she directed and starred in called Mercy's Girl, which you should Ooh. see if you've not seen it. Mercy's Girl is a really good uh, Chicago uh, indie film from 2018. Um, again, really gritty, really gritty and raw, you know, um, oh, love great. story. Yeah. Um, and then uh, also Keith Gallagher, who plays Rod, um, he w- is the lead in a film I really love called Orders, which is a really kind of absurdist war movie that was directed by the editor of Relative, Eric Marsh. Huh. Um, and so I loved him in Orders. And I and, and he's, you know, like like a lot of these actors, he's, he does a lot of theater in Chicago. And so he had been in sort of um, – in the back of my mind uh, as someone I, I wanted to work with. So I invited him to audition, but Claire um, brought in, you know, pretty much everybody else. And she also, you know, like read the first draft of the script and gave me a lot of feedback, gave me a lot of notes and almost all of her notes were, you know, were excellent. And, uh, I, and I took a lot of them. So it's good to have that kind of collaboration with an actor where the more you work together, um, the the more you trust each other, and um, I think the deeper the the collaboration gets. You know, yeah. like the role she plays in this film, it's pretty. There are a couple scenes that are you know uh, extremely emotional, and you know she is her character is dealing with mental health struggles, and it was really pretty effortless for for her to do that for me. And we didn't really have to talk about it a lot because um, we'd worked together before, you know Um, it's like if, if this had been our first time working together, we would have spent a lot more time 
uh, talking about the character. But because we we have a, a close working relationship, she kind of knew um, she kind of knew what to do, and that's that's honestly the best feeling. It's like when you get to be very comfortable with an actor. Yeah, I, I sense that completely. Like there is there is a comfort you know that you two probably have after <laughs> as a result of working together, and. You know, I, I always, re- I always appreciate films that really do. Uh, you know, I, I use the word a lot probably because Ebert certainly did <laughs> empathy, and yeah. you know, strong portrayals of mental health are very important to me. It's like my third passion after film and music, where it's just like I, I want people to have access to adequate care. And so when any film, you know, showcases somebody struggling, I automatically hone in on that and hope that it's done with compassion, which you, you clearly do. And those, those, those two very strong moments involve Yvonne, like admitting her feelings to both her mom and then her partner. But I I also wondered why Lucy wanted to separate from her too. Was it, I mean, was that mainly because her depression had gotten, you know, gotten to her so strongly that it's affecting their relationship? (laughs) No, no, not really. I mean, we, we, there was actually a whole kind of subtext Hmm. to their relationship, which is referenced in the um, line about polyamory, Ah. which, you know, Yvonne says, I can't believe I even tried polyamory. Mm -hmm. Um, And so one of the, one of the things that I spent a lot of time talking to Melissa Dupre about is how she was in a, basically in a relationship with another person back in Madison. So all throughout the film, Melissa's, uh, her character Luce is on her phone. And so Uh she's communicating with this other person back home. And, um, you know, that, that, that was sort of the, the crux of the conflict between her and Yvonne was, you know, uh, she wanted to be in an open relationship and Yvonne did not. I see. Okay. Yeah, that was a little yeah. subtle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but there's a lot of that. You know, we, I, we try and leave a lot of things off, off screen. Sure. Um, because, you know, a- ambiguity is, is the home of the artist and, uh, I, I, I want to, you know, kind of incite the viewer into collaborating with me mm. <laughs> on, on the meaning, you know, and a lot of people, um, you know, have asked me about the final scene in the film. They're I like, was going to. So go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I, you know, I've heard uh, competing theories about what it means and why Norma appears so emotional. And, um, you know, I'm never going to I have an idea of what. Norma is going through, but I'm never going to tell you. Ah, <laughs> uh, you're 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 taking after David Lynch. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I don't want to limit anyone else. No, you're right. I know experience to to my interpretation. No, right. You know, um, you know, it's it's a couple minutes in the end of of silence. You know, where you're just watching this woman drive home, uh, walk up to the front door, stand on the threshold. You know open the door and her, you see her husband's hand come out and kind of massage her shoulder. And, and I spent a lot, I mean, we spent a lot of time trying to get the mood, you know, of that scene just right. Um, but yeah, I don't really want to talk about what it means. <laughs> that's fine with me. I, I, I mean, again, you, you mentioned ambiguity and I think that's a sign of a great filmmaker that doesn't spell out everything because you want your audience to be thinking about it afterwards. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I always say, and you know, the other kind of going hand in hand with that, I don't believe in, in narrative resolution Mm. either. Um, and I was, you know, uh, someone who is involved with the production of the film gave me a note because, you know, I showed the rough cut to a lot of people and, and someone said, Oh, you should cut the entire last scene with Norma. It should end with the family on the porch. That's what I thought. (laughs) And, you know, I would rather cut off my arm than, than, <laughs> than cut that final scene out of the movie um, because regardless of what you might think it means, it, to me, just the tone of that final scene was important, uh, which was sort of a bittersweet quality and, and kind of a melancholy, you know, quality to that final scene, because I didn't want people to say, oh, you know, the, the two sons are on the porch with their parents. They're all sharing a cigarillo. Um, they're all 
laughing and talking. I didn't want people to feel like um, their their problems were were over, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing is, um, I also to talk about the the final scene. I, I guess I am unpacking it a little bit more than I I typically would, but I I wanted it to mirror the opening scene of the film. Sure. Which is, you know, um, Karen is on the porch of her home picking up the paper and then she goes back inside uh, to be with her, her husband and her, her sons. And so um, there's, you know, a lot of dialogue in the film about the, the disintegration of the family, how families evolve over time. And, um, you know, they evolve because people die. Um, mm-hmm. People are born. Um Children leave home. They they you know uh, they leave an empty nest, and uh, and then those children you know get married and start families of their own. Um, and so to end it with the daughter of the woman in the opening scene on her own porch and going inside to be with her new family because she's the new mom. I think the last audible line of dialogue in the film is mommy's home. You Mm -hmm. actually hear her daughter say that. Um, So she's the new mom. And um, um, yeah, to have those scenes kind of be bookends was, was important. Well, we mentioned ambiguity and there's a little bit of that regarding a song lyric. (laughs) (laughs) Whether the Joni Mitchell one. Yeah. Well, I mean, just in terms of like, I was a little surprised that he didn't recognize it or when he mentions, <laughs> mentions it on the porch. Is there like, like kind of a little bit. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> I'm sure you've heard that song or you must've known that line, but from something, right. He's, he's a dumb 22 year old. Um, he's not as worldly as she is. And That's you true. know, the funny thing, the funny thing is, you know, uh, the film just played last night at a uh, Chicago filmmakers. And, and every time it plays, it's like when he says, is that a quote from something? <laughs> and then her response is, no, I just made it up. Um, some people <laughs> laugh really hard because they know the song. Right. And they know she's, they know she's bullshitting him, but then other people uh, don't laugh at all. And I know they don't know the song either. They, mm. they do think she just made that up. So, uh, but you know, what's funny, Jim, there's actually quite a few song lyrics woven into the dialogue because I was listening to a lot of music um, when I was writing the screenplay. So there's like, there's some, a little bit of a uh, Nick cave in there. And Ooh. there's a little bit of uh Leonard Cohen <laughs> and uh, there's some Bob Dylan in there and there's even a Kesha lyric <laughs> in there. Do you know the Kesha song TikTok? I do. How did, okay. <laughs> how did I miss this? So ah. Uncle Uncle Joe, when he first arrives, ah. his first line is the party don't start till I walk oh, in. Oh, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's hilarious. But because he's this kind of like burly middle-aged guy, he doesn't <laughs> You know, the context is so different that you're probably not going to think think of that. Right. No, exactly. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, well, I mean, we're, we're clearly passionate about music, too. So I, I, I appreciate that. And I appreciate it when people incorporate, like, even just something like Karma Police. I was like, yay. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, so, that was fun. Throwing that Radiohead reference in there. Oh, by the way, I really enjoyed your episode about the music of 1992. Oh, thank you. And I, I realized we must be very close in age because uh, I graduated from high school in 93. I graduated in 96. Okay, so I'm a few years older, but 92, 93 was my senior year. So mm. it was really kind of uh, – it was really cool to listen to that episode and, and – and know that, you know, a, a lot of those albums I had at the time, you know, R.E.M. and uh, Tom Waits and so on and so forth. Oh, yeah. Well, that's another tradition that I'm grateful. I mean, I know it's Director's Club <laughs> and that's why I had yeah. a spinoff <laughs> show for a while. But then I was like, eh, I should just keep it all under one one feed. But at the same yeah. time, I, I have to venture into Music Club <laughs> once in a while. Yes, absolutely. And we could probably have a whole other conversation about music, I'm sure. And your love of Bob Dylan. In fact, I think there was... Oh my gosh, I can't even think of uh oh, when I talked about I'm not there, 
on the Todd Haynes episode, I said, I need to talk to a Dylan expert to help me understand all the references and all the things that are going on in this movie because yes, it's, because everything in that movie is a reference to something. Right. Uh, I figured that. So, and I didn't know all, yeah. all the references either. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, you know, if you ever need to phone, phone a friend during an episode to, to get a Dylan <laughs> reference, feel free, feel free to give me a call. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, we'll probably nerd out again in the future, but I, I, I want to learn about some of your, influences and inspirations or at least let the audience know too. Cause I, I gather, and I've probably mentioned this when I, you know, talked with you about rendezvous in Chicago, I, I I'm sensing a little Romare, a little Hong Sang Su, maybe even a touch yes. of Mike Lee. Oh yeah. Without a doubt. Um, Mike Lee. I mean, my, my working methods are very different than his. <laughs> uh, I should yeah. say that right away because um, one of, one of the reviews of, relative by uh, Matt Zoller sites, he, he kind of speculated that maybe the script grew out of workshops with actors, which is actually not true at all. Um, you know, the whole, the whole film was scripted, but I do love Mike Lee. And I, um, I actually did talk to Wendy and Fr- like when we created um, the, the pitch deck, when we were trying to raise money, for the film, you know, you always include um, what are called comparables. You know, you you include images from films that you think are kind of similar to what you're doing, um, so that investors will kind of have an idea, a, a kind of a, a visual reference um, and a tonal reference sure. for the kind of movie you're trying to make. And so, another year was one oh. of the films. Perfect. That was a comparable. Yeah. Yeah. And I really love, I don't even know. I think I talked to Wendy about this, but I'm not sure. Um, I love Jim Broadbent and Ruth Sheen in that film. They're Mm. like, you know, as the old married couple, if you ever watch relative again, think about the depiction of the, the marriage of this couple that's been together for 40 years. Totally. I can see, I can just see that in my mind now a little bit. Yeah. And, and, you know, Wendy, um, her listening face is incredible. Mm-hmm. Like every time I watch relative, you know, I'm, I always look at her face when she's not talking because she's so good at listening and giving meaningful uh, glances. And I, one of the things I told her was, I want you to kind of, I want you and your husband to constantly be communicating with each other through looks kind of over the heads of everyone else. Um, huh. you know, regardless of who's talking and what they're saying, you're constantly almost like telepathically, <laughs> uh, communicating with him. And, and that, uh, is something that I've felt very strongly when I saw another year. It's just a great, great, you know, di- great portrait of marriage among other things. That would make an amazing double feature if you could program that. <laughs> I would, yeah, love, I, would I would love, I would love that. I mean, I like Mike Lee. I like all of his films. Um, and that's not even one of my very favorites, but, um, for this particular film, it was an influence just like, um, Fassbender's film, uh, mini series, eight hours. Don't make a day was an influence on this. And Ooh, that's, not, I need to see that. That's, oh, that's terrific. Um, mm. as, uh, yeah, it's, it's really, one of the most atypical things he ever did because it's actually quite uh, humanist. <laughs> yeah. That's, and, that's kind of what I, I was a little on the outside looking in with a lot of his work and I felt bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he was a cynical bastard. Yeah. Um, I, I love, I love so much of, so much of his films, but that one is really interesting. It's kind of warm and funny. Hmm. And, um, but there's an incredible party sequence in it and it's like a wedding reception, uh, or it's like a party following a wedding in someone's home and the way he films it and cuts it, um, with, you know, people sort of all together in one room and then breaking off into little side conversations. Um, I found it mesmerizing and I thought this is, I want to execute a party scene like, that so that was one of that was a big uh inspiration sure no i can i can see that and maybe a little summer hours i I thought of that too you know i i've heard that from other people i love summer hours but i i saw it in the theater when it came out i haven't revisited it and it was not um at the forefront of my mind but i i did think about um arnaud de a christmas tale oh 
Yeah, gosh, that's so good. I have, I should watch yeah. that again sometime. That's an incredible film, and and yeah. you know, I, I basically took the template from that because <laughs> that's like you know the dis, mm-hmm. the dysfunctional family getting together for for the Christmas holidays, right? Um, right. With the son who's been banished, uh, they they allow him to return because he's the only one who can. Um, be the donor for the, the the marrow bone marrow transplant the mother needs. Um, I, I was thinking of that, and I was like, you know, I can't make. I, I was trying to figure out like what occasion could bring a family together for a reunion, and I said, well, it can't be Christmas because that's been done. And uh, I kind of like went through all the holidays in my mind, and I'm like, <laughs> you know, they've they've all been done, you know, they've all been done. Uh, weddings have been done, funerals, and then. One day I thought, oh, a graduation, a college graduation party. That's never been done. Um, I mean, there have been scenes in movies where people graduate from college, but that's never been the, the narrative hook right. for, for why a family gets together. So as soon as I settled on that, it all, it all started to flow pretty quickly. And you have pretty close access to Loyola University, which is where I spotted your cameo, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> you know what's funny about that? Um, yeah, I, I'm running down the steps uh, when you see Benji leaving class. But uh, when we shot it in June of 2020, there were no classes. Oh, that's right. Uh, there, were no in, there were no in-person classes. Yeah. And there, there would have been because it would have been the summer semester. The, the, the campus was like a ghost town. There was literally nobody there. And so, um, you know, I, I, we had no extras. It was very hard to get extras because shooting during the pandemic, everybody who appears or everybody who steps foot onto the set of your movie has to be um, COVID tested twice before they show up. Sure. Like they have to get tested three days before they, uh, their first time on set. And then they have to get tested a second time the day before. So it was really hard to get people to agree to just be in the background of a scene. So what we ended up doing was just putting the crew in front of the camera because they all had to get tested anyway. So Mm. in that scene, there's four people, there's Benji coming down the steps. There's me coming down the steps. And then there's uh, my cinematographer <laughs> is literally walking up the steps. So nobody was behind the camera when we shot this, like oh, we, wow. set, we, we set up the composition and then we all got in front of the camera. And then the other, there's another woman, our, our first assistant camera person, Becca Johnson is also walking up the steps. Yeah. That, yeah, that must've been a heavy time to try and shoot a movie, but Kudos to you for pulling it off. I'm a lot of people were probably because that you said 2020, right? That was yeah, uh, 13, we shot it uh, 13 months ago, and it it was you know it was tough yeah. um, having to having to abide by all of the protocols um, because this was you know a Screen Actors Guild um, production, and so there was a you know the, there are a lot of hoops that you have to jump through, um, un- understandably, but it's. It's hard, you know, the the protocols are designed for big films and television shows. And so, you know, when you're making a, a micro budget film, it's very hard to, you know, create um, a position for a COVID safety supervisor. And that's somebody else you have to pay uh, who has to be on set every day um, just to like sanitize equipment and, um, you know, take everyone's temperature in the morning. So, you know, it was hard, but it was also the 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 most fun I've Mm. ever had shooting a movie. And I I think that was because we all had this, you know, feeling that we were in this together. um, You know, that we were all passionate about telling this particular story. We'd all been waiting, you know, a year to do it. So we were, everyone was excited to get back to work. Um, It was a really, really just really positive, you know, environment. Yeah, and this, like I mentioned, this ensemble of actors is just really special. And it's clear that you care about characters and, and certainly the actors that play them, but also the sense of community here, you know, with Rogers Park. I mean, you, yeah. you've chosen to film here and, you know, capture a lot of what makes it such a special lived in neighborhood. I mentioned to you, I live pretty much a couple blocks away from the post office box collective. So, right. yeah, and, and I know for your screening coming up, at the new 400, you're doing like a tour as well to accompany <laughs> yeah, so, the film. 
I, I, I could not be more excited about this upcoming screening uh, because, you know, I've never screened a movie in a theater so close to where I shot the movie. I mean, we, yeah. you know, it's we that, that the house that the Franks live in is just a couple blocks from the new 400. It's on New Guard Avenue. So um, we're going to a- after the screening, I'm going to lead the audience on a walking tour. We're going to first go to the the Frank house. Then we're going to walk over to the PO box collective and, you know, I'll tell a few anecdotes about shooting in these places. And then we're going to um, cap off the afternoon with a drink at Rogers park social. <laughs> Which is, yeah. Just a couple doors down. And I got to tell you, I am so excited because tickets are selling extremely well for this screening. Um, you know, not to turn this into a, you know, a commercial for it, but I, you know, I checked the box office yesterday. We've sold over 50 tickets. Wonderful. Already, which is crazy because, you know, this is like the 13th uh, screening in Chicago. Um, so, you know, people are still interested in, in coming to see it. And I think a lot of people who live in Rogers Park, you know, know about the movie. And I think they're excited to see um not only the locations, but I think they're just excited to see this movie because, you know, it's a it's a film about a family, but I wanted that family to be emblematic of the neighborhood. Yeah, you know, I totally got that impression. It's it's a special place. Yeah. You know, it's as you know, it's a very it's it's it has a long history of progressive activism. Mm-hmm. And so um, when I was conceiving of the characters of the parents. I mean, I thought, Oh, you know, they need to be like kind of, they need to be like old liberal activists um, who, you know, uh, are, are part of the PO box collective. So um, which is of course a real, you know, organization. And so uh, it was a lot of fun, you know, working with um, Salome Chaznoff, who, who is one of the directors of the PO box collective. And she basically plays herself in the movie has a little cameo and she's going to introduce the screening. Oh yeah. So should be a lot of fun. That's terrific. No, I mean, I think for my last question, I do have to ask since they, they popped up in both films uh, and as somebody who recently graduated with their um, master's in, in library science, library and information science. (laughs) (laughs) I got to ask about the shirt. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, uh, learn something new. Sleep with a librarian. So my wife is a librarian, Jim. Ah, uh, yes. Okay. And uh, so it's it's pretty easy for me to <laughs> weave that into you know into my scripts. I probably can never do it again now, um, but. You know, there are, you know, there, there is also the reference at the end of Mercury and retrograde to Isabella going to school for, yes. for library. Yep. Um, so uh, the shirt is a gift that she gave to me oh. years ago. And what's really funny is I was wearing it on one of the first days that we were shooting the film and it was Wendy's idea. <laughs> she said, Hey, I want to wear that shirt in the bedroom. Scene. <laughs> And I think we were shooting it the next day. And so I was like, okay, I'll take it home and wash it and I'll bring it back tomorrow. (laughs) And so I literally went home that night and yeah, just threw that shirt in the washing machine and washed it, you know, by itself (laughs) without, you know, without throwing anything else in there and and gave it to her the next day. So I'm guessing the library that you filmed in is where your wife works. Correct, which is the Wilmet. That's the Wilmet uh, Public Library ah, in downtown Wilmet. Wonderful. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, little touches like that really make it special. And clearly, this this whole film is is special. And you know, I've I've been meaning to watch uh, your first film, and I I plan on it now more than ever because. Consider me a fan for sure. Oh, thank you, Jim. You know, I can send you a link. That That's the only one that's not streaming. Um, there is a DVD uh, of it. That's actually um, at the Chicago Public Library. Yeah. <laughs> There's a copy yeah, available. Like the, the distributor, Emphasis Entertainment, um, they they got it into a lot of libraries. Sweet. So, uh, so it's not hard to find if, if you – 
if you use libraries to rent DVDs, which I'm, sh- which I guess you do. Oh, definitely. <laughs> no, that's great. Or well, I could, or I could send you a link either way. Oh, well, if the DVD has a commentary or something a supplemental on it, that's another you incentive. You know what? It, it does. And I'm very proud of it. So, oh, good. So well, just the, check I'll, it out then. <laughs> yeah, I definitely will. No, it was great to finally talk with you and congratulations on relative and all your work. Uh, I just tell folks where people can, learn more about you and if they want to check out a screening of relative happening in the near future, whether if it's at the new 400 or anywhere else in the area, uh, the best place to learn about upcoming screenings is on the official website for the film, which is www.relativemovie.com. And, um, all of the screenings that have been announced are on there right now, but we're going to have a bunch more that have not been announced. Um, there will be more, uh, in Chicago in August, and then there oh, will great. also there will also be festival screenings in a bunch of exciting places. Uh, our New York City premiere is next month. Um, we're the closing night film of Festival of Cinema NYC in Queens, which is really exciting. And then we're also going to be screening in um, Florida and Michigan and Wisconsin. So um, all of that info will be on the official website eventually. Yeah, and I, I I just saw too that um, the Barry Gifford film <laughs> is going to be screening in Chicago again in August, right? Yes, August seventh, uh, Roy's World. Roy's World. Yes, at, it'll be back at the Music Box, and uh, Rob asked me to do the Q and A with him. Oh. So, uh, so yeah, that'll be fun. I should. Yeah, I want to. I want to watch that movie again. I I absolutely adored it, and you know, there's it'd be my third time seeing it on the big screen, and I'd be happy to do so because I'm just a huge fan of Barry Gifford and. Yeah, Barry is uh, Barry's fantastic. Awesome, man. Well, take care. And, and again, congratulations. Wish you nothing but the best. I, I promise I will run into you <laughs> at a screening eventually in the near yes, future. Thank you so much for having me on. This was a lot of fun. Same here. All right. Take care, man. I'll see you soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. What can I say? You can't stay. Graduation day. It's your turn Make your way Graduation day Graduation day Should I offer words of wisdom Try my best to disguise How the barren of broken dreams Rip the light from my eyes Should I cherish your innocence While I can shelter all your dreams And pray that your goodness Isn't torn out by the sea